Well, hello. Uh, you're listening to The Dollop. Uh, and we're auditioning this, for cartoons? This is a biannual. Biannual? We do this podcast twice a year. It's not true. It's an American history podcast. Each week I read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. And um, this is this will come out in June and then another one in December. Nope, I don't think that's how this works. God, you want a little hit of it? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> So there might be some noise in this one because um, we're at Garrett's apartment and uh, there is a, a pool party happening next door where they're playing old uh, 60s music. And then there are gentlemen banging on the side of the There's a bang building. party. There's a bang party outside. And by bang um, party, we're not talking about the pool party. Yeah, no, ba- no. The pool party didn't just turn into... October 26th, 1858. That might be a little loud. How long do you think that's going to go on? Okay, so we have moved... We are away from the room where they were banging on the window. And those are huge lemons. Thanks, bro. Holy shit. Oh, you mean those? Yeah. I thought you were looking at my pants. Oh, no, those are grapefruits. First time looking at fruit. <laughs> so, uh, I already did the date. Okay, you know what? I'm going to get a chair and get a little further away. No, no, no. You sit right there. No, I don't want that. No. Fuck, this podcast is a disaster. Now I feel good. You're all happy with yourself? Yep, very chuffed. Your homophobia. Excuse me? Tom Dennison was born in Delhi, Iowa. Delhi. Nice. He was the third of eight children of Irish, Irish immigrants, John and Anna Dennison. In 1860, the Dennisons moved to a farm in Dakota County, Nebraska. Okay. The elder Dennison remained there the rest of his life. During that time, he took an active part in the life of his community Owning a modest but successful farm and serving in several minor elective posts. Well, thank you for the story, Dave. It was great to have Thanks you around. For listening. One of our best. Yep. <laughs> Tom left home at the age of 15 and returned to Iowa. Tom spent six years as a farm laborer in Monona and Mills counties. Okay. There he once won a contest for the county corn husking championship. What does that even mean? That what is it? Is that just removing the pieces of corn? Yeah, or, or, like, or no, that's just taking the husk off. Taking the, corn. the husk off and getting that makes ready sense for why they call it that. Yeah, it's it's so actually, it's cleaning the corn the fast. It's right in the name, corn husking. You don't need to look at me like that. In nine in eighteen seventy nine, Dennison left Iowa and sought adventure farther west. He worked at a blacksmithing uh, establishment in Kansas. He went prospecting in Colorado and railroading in New Mexico. While living at the Kokomo, Colorado mining camp, he shot and wounded a man. For any particular reason? Couldn't find out. Jesus. Maybe the guy deserved it. Uh, It sounds like you're a little gung-ho. He then moved to Leadville and became a floor walker at the Texas. (laughs) Okay. The town... (laughs) Yeah, that's a weird. All right, so we know what corn husking is. <laughs> what is this floor walking? Uh, it was uh, the town's largest and mo- most notorious gambling hall. Oh, okay. So floor walking would be kind of just like managing the floor a little bit, keeping an eye on the floor. Yeah, making sure no one's doing the, like a pit boss the business. Right. 
Yeah. A but shittier. Boss. Yeah, shittier. Much shittier. During this period, Dennison showed a knack for taking advantage of business opportunities and within a short time rose from bouncer to owner of a quarter interest in the Texas. He then sold it using his profits to purchase part ownership in Leadville's Opera House. Next, he started the Old Arcade in Denver, which would be the first of a chain of gambling houses in the Rocky Mountain area. In, 19, in 1892, at the age of 34, he settled in Omaha. Okay. Dennison was an imposing figure, six feet tall and 200 pounds, always immaculately dressed and usually wearing large, flawless diamonds. Whoa, there's a, that's interesting. He's a pimp. Yeah, di- the diamond look really just screams, I sell pussy. <laughs> Straight up pimp. Yeah. Photographs of Dennison show a man with cold, penetrating eyes who often had a wry smile playing at the corners of his mouth. He had a deep voice with a slight speech impediment that only surfaced when he was tense. That's interesting. I mean, what the fuck are you looking at? Yeah, that, that's great, right? To just be like, yeah, I kind of don't like the way that guy's looking at me. Excuse me for a second. Excuse me, sir. If there's some sort of problem you have with me, if there's something you want to say to me, sir, because you keep looking at me a little funny. I'm just wondering what your deal is. I told you he'd do it if you look at him. Anyway, sorry about that. I didn't mean to lose my cool. It's just that fucking asshole. What's the problem? The guy. I don't like the way that that guy looks at me. Omaha had recently been going through an economic boom and was on the uh, was uh, uh, was the uh, one of the new leading agricultural and meatpacking towns in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. But most importantly for Tom, the city had a seamy side. This activity was centered in the Third Ward and was responsible for the city being called the wickedest city in the United States. Jesus, and a wide open town. Oh boy. The Third Ward gained notoriety through its saloons, gambling dens, street games, and brothels. Drifters, swindlers, gamblers, prostitutes, and criminals compromised a significant segment of its population. The police, with the exception of a rare uh, obligatory crackdown, generally ignored the district's activities. City fathers looked upon the area as a necessary evil. Sounds like Peaky Blinders so far. I haven't seen that. Well, you're hearing about it a little bit. All right, girl. Yeah, just an area where it just seems lawless, and yeah, uh, yeah, you can do whatever the fuck you want. As goes the third ward, so goes the city, was the saying. The ward gave substantial majorities uh, to uh, candidates in elections. Candidates from other precincts of the city could rarely match the votes from the third ward. Denison only needed to further uh, so consolidate and uh, organize the ward and its activities under his control to make himself supreme. And that's what he quickly did. Okay. A power vacuum had recently been created when the big four, Charles Bibbins, Hiram Kennedy, Charles White, and Jack Morrison, who had run the third ward for years, suddenly disappeared after a police crackdown. Okay. Denison was there to fill the void. Oh boy, Diamond Denison. In November of nineteen, it's, ugh, in November of eighteen ninety-two, Dennison established a gambling house in an alley near Fourteenth and Dodge, from which he ran a policy game, an illegal form of lottery popular among low-income classes. And within a few years, he and his brother John had opened branch shops in South Omaha and across the state line, East Omaha. These three dens formed the most successful enterprises of their kind in the city. During this period, Dennison formed connections through silent partnerships with other uh, saloon casinos. Cliff Coles was brought by Billy Nesselhaus and was, and it was renamed Budweiser. Whoa. Jesus. He bought a bar named Cliff Coles, which is a good name for a bar. Yeah. 
And he renamed it Budweiser. Well, I mean, in retrospect, it was a brilliant name for a bar. <laughs> you know the fucking deal. It'd be crazy if it was before Budweiser. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> Budweiser served as Denison's headquarters. By the early 1900s, Denison had established his ward machine. The key lieutenant, Billy Nesselhaus, became the business brains of the organization and coordinated various vice activities from the Budweiser. Yeah. Denison, recognizing the importance of minority support, uh, made sure these groups had representatives within the machine. For instance, he financed a black man to help him purchase a brothel. With Denison's help, he got police protection and ran that district. If there were ever any disagreements, Denison would replace the black man with another to run the district. Hmm. So he just Sounds... so he gets them all in and then they vote the way he wants and yeah. it's all good to go. Jack Bloomfield ran the area for many years. As Denison's machine rose in power, so did the amount of vice and newspapers began to notice. Among the rogues frequently reported to be in the city were the John C. Maybray gang, a group of Iowa swindlers, Patrick Crow, a train robber and kidnapper, and fainting Bertha Lebke whose gambit was swooning in front of her unsuspecting victims and then picking their pockets when they came to her aid. I mean, that one has got to get old fast. <laughs> I saw you faint yesterday, bitch. I saw you faint yesterday, Bertha. Between 1905 and 1915, Omaha had the greatest increase in drinking establishments of any city in the nation. All right. Fuck yeah. By 1910, there were an estimated 100 brothels and 2,500 prostitutes in the city. 2,000 prostitutes. Yeah. There's not that many people there. There's like That's just so people. many whores. That's crazy. And you know what else? It, the, like, I don't want to be gross. Go ahead. But they're not, you know. Clean? It's the pullout method, if anything, in this time, right? There's yeah, not I like. I mean, they did have. What did they put, like, lamb skin on their fucking cocks? Have, I don't know if they had condoms at that point, but. Yeah, it's not a it's not a good I'm not saying like going to whores now is a great option. Look, it's not a good time to put your penis in a random vagina, and yeah. nor is it a good time to have a random penis in your vagina. Yeah. That's Either just, way, yeah. you're gonna end up with syphilis. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and then your nose will fall off. Welcome I mean, to reality. It was estimated the yearly average income from the uh brothels was seventeen million seven hundred and sixty thousand dollars. I mean, we've just always loved to fuck. <laughs> it just and in the doesn't matter. We'll run out of water. Yeah, the one thing will be consistent. We're looking to fuck. Yeah, we're a fuck people. We're fuck. We like to fuck. On the same day in 1914, that a grand jury reported finding no examples of harlotry in the city, a street rocker was quoted by the Daily News saying. It's a poor girl on the street who can't make at least $5 a night in Omaha. So it's a fuck town. So your main occupation, if you go there, is to fuck. Yeah. Okay. Dennison knew he couldn't have the police and a few city officials in his pocket. Uh, he, he couldn't just have a few uh, police and a few city officials in his pocket. And diamonds. To make this work. Yeah. He needed the political machine. He would throw support behind any candidate from either party that would serve his needs. Most importantly, he formed a bond with Edward Rosewater and his newspaper, The Omaha Bee. Rosewater was a, a bohemian immigrant who had built a reputation as a man who would fight rival editors both physically and verbally. <laughs> That's a fun that. order, too. Rosewater had gained control of a large faction of the local Republican Party. In 1906, 
Rosewater died, and Rosewater's son and successor Victor inherited a strong role in Republican politics and continued the B policy of rarely mentioning Denison's name in print while going after his enemies. Hmm. But the Democratic candidates backed by the World Herald newspaper and the news were succeeding as they railed against city corruption and vice. One would have thought Denison was losing control, but he was quietly working behind the scenes. John Denison, his brother, was appointed a sidewalk inspector. And it, well, this looks good. Uh, excuse me. I'm going to go home. Off the sidewalk. Excuse me. Are you walking? Eight years later, his brother Pat took the coveted post of street department foreman. Hey, you, I've been watching you, sidewalk guy. Holy shit, the Denisons have controlled the sidewalk and the street. Oh boy, I don't know which way. Anywhere you walk, you're walking in Denison territory. What's this, what's this town coming to? <laughs> Next, Pat's son became a police officer, and Billy Nesselhaus is a stepbrother, a city commissioner. Oh boy. Then Louis Burmeister, a Third War saloon keeper, was selected president of the city council. The following year, Johnny Lynch, Denison's most important ally next to Nesselhaus, was elected to the county commission and shortly thereafter became a chairman. Lynch's election was important to Denison because it gave him control over juries. Suddenly, no one was being convicted. Good. So that's, I mean, this is Peaky Blinders. In 1906, James Cowboy Jim Dahlman was elected mayor. A mayor cowboy? Yeah, he had a cowboy hat and the horse, the whole thing. He's a cowboy. Uh, I mean, I'm noticing a lot of commonalities between then and now. In regard to saloons, gambling, and prostitution, the mayor adopted a hands-off policy. (laughs) Which is the best. We need to get government out of government. You're like, you dumb motherfucker. (laughs) The fuck did you run for then? To get no power? Everything ran smoothly. The machine rolled on and Denison brought in the money. Until 1918, when it all fell apart. First, in 1916, Nebraska passed a state constitutional amendment allowing for prohibition. Next, the state passed an election law, making it much more difficult to stuff ballot boxes. (laughs) Good order there, too. And finally, the military barred all servicemen from the Third Ward. Wow. Yeah, that's fucked up. That's not good for business. Not good for fuck business. And and it's not good for the military guys. It's no. Good Lord. Yeah. All all Jim wanted was a little syphilis. Just a little taste. Yeah, he just wanted to dip his fucking, you know, just dip in the sif. He wanted to just do a sif dip. Jesus. I'm sifted. That's horrible. What? In the 1918 election, Denison lost five of the seven city commissioners as well as Mayor Dahlman. His political power was wiped out overnight. Turns out the people at Omaha wanted reform and were tired of the scandals in county government, the corrupt police department, and the sanctioning of ridiculous city contracts. A new era was starting for Omaha. Edward P. Smith, a successful lawyer, was chosen to be new mayor. John Ringer was selected police commissioner and was given the task of cleansing the police department and putting a tight rein on the city's vice. Ringer was a radical who saw his election as a moral crusade. It's so funny when a radical is someone who's just going to do the thing that's things that are legal. <laughs> like, it just, you know what I mean? When someone's like, this guy's a real radical. All right, no prostitution. He doesn't want corruption. No murder in the peoples. He's kind of a lunatic. Now without power, Denison looked around at the state of Omaha and the country to fix his problem. Omaha had changed significantly since 1900. The World War I era created a demand for labor in America's industrial regions beyond the South. Uh-oh. Time to move. Time to company move? 
Immigration was drastically curtailed during the war and close to 5 million Americans enlisted in the army. There were huge job vacancies. A massive labor shortage was at hand. So northern factories and industries actively recruited southern African-American laborers, often enticing them to move north by offering to pay their train fare. News of the jobs available in northern cities circulated via mouth and through African-American newspapers. Omaha itself had a labor shortage with upwards of 20,000 Omahans enlisted during World War I. African-Americans wanted to escape the nightmare of sharecropping and Jim Crow laws in favor of the urban north. 450,000 blacks migrated north during what came to be called the Great Migration. Okay. Omaha's African-American population changed dramatically. The railroads and packing plants offered a wide range of unskilled job opportunities and economic prospects. From 1910 to 1920, Omaha's black population more than doubled to 10,315 out of a total population of 191,000. Wow. At the same time, many unions were going on strike because wages were so horrible. Many African-Americans coming in on trains had no idea they were being shipped to take others' jobs. Blacks quickly learned the exact thing they escaped from was being recreated in places like Omaha by their very presence. Got to be a great situation. Yeah. Just a great time to be black. It's a great time. This is probably the best time to be black. A lot of good times. I mean, good a lot of great, A lot of great times. I think that's this is what the song Good Vibrations is about by the Beach Boys. Yeah, no, exactly. Now, soldiers began returning from the war front. They found black communities had grown throughout northern cities, often in areas that had been inhabited once by whites. So tell me how they calmly handled this predicament. A lot of handshaking, a lot of talks, a lot yeah. of looking the guy in the eyes and going, let's sit down and talk about this. Why don't this. we talk this about this over a nice cold Budweiser? That's right. Yeah, right. Economic resentment built up as job availability became scarce for returning veterans, many of whom resented African-Americans who occupied formerly white-held jobs. And to top it off, the unions wouldn't take black members. So black workers would just say, fuck it, and take the jobs they otherwise may have passed on. Wait, what's the union time? The unions wouldn't take black members. So that, but then they would. Oh, so then it left them fewer opportunities. You're well, saying then, so then they had like. Then they have no choice but to be scabs. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah well, you're. Yeah. You shouldn't even be called a scab. No. At that point, you're just a guy. A human. <laughs> An optionless human. <laughs> optionless human. Hey, you're one of them optionless human guys. I can tell by your skin color. Yes. Thank you for finally calling us that. <laughs> Good lord. So you got like no options. Although back then, being called a scab for black people was probably like, thank you. Oh, well, that's a nice word. Finally. You usually get. Ugh, what a relief. You have a Packers clock. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Green Bay Packers clock like you're five. Oh, listen, I have them tattooed on my body, too. What do you want from me? The year of... I like the Green Bay Packers. I get it. I get it. It's a great clock. Thank you. The year of the lynchings was upon us. That's not a good start. What do you mean? That's a terrible start it's to a, a sentence. Good, this is going to be a great paragraph. No. Lynchings killed 78 black people in 1919, an increase oh from 48 in 1918. Even worse. Lynchings. The, yeah. It's almost doubled. But it's just crazy. Yeah. Even worse, the lynchings had a carnivalesque atmosphere. Uh, Dave. What's up? <laughs> Is that a weird word to yeah. put with lynchings? Yeah. Popcorn, get your yeah. popcorn. Cirque du Soleil presents Sit lynchings. Down, I can't see the black guy swinging. Oh, come on. My kid has never seen this before. You're getting all over his taffy. 
Let my boy watch the black man hang. In the South, violent mobs of hundreds, if not thousands, gathered with advance notice of lynchings that were often advertised in their local newspaper. Wait, white people or black people? White people. Would get... Would gather so in they, large it, crowds because the lynching would be advertised in the newspaper. Huge, huge show. This is not... I, I will say, this is not... Oh, did you not know that we advertise lynchings in newspapers? I, did, I guess I didn't realize it was like... Um, A carnival? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize... The lynchings coming to town. I didn't realize it was the gladiator of uh, lynchings. Near Ellisville, Mississippi, the lynching and burning of a suspected black rapist, John Hartfield, was advertised by the New Orleans states with a what headline that read, 3,000 will burn Negro. Three? Well, that was the headline. That means like 3,000 people will be there to watch him burn? Yeah. <sighs> Boy, this is... Uh, do, you want so, some, do you want some of that, Jameson? How do you uh, want to handle this? This is a, point, a, time, a good time to point out that America is a really great place. Terrible. Thousands of people arrived to witness the spectacle. Mobs assembled and attacked African Americans throughout that summer without fear of government reprisal. Mobs feared little recourse for their actions and gladly posed for lynching pictures. Ugh. This lack of punishment led to, me. led to more attacks and finally riots. Selfie. I'm taking a selfie with the d- dead guy. There we go. This is known as the Red Summer. In most instances. Because uh, it was hot. Blood, maybe. Yeah, I figured. In most instances, white attacked blacks. In some cases, blacks fought back. The first riot broke out in Charleston, South Carolina on May the 10th. It was begun by sailors in the U.S. Navy. Three black men were killed. Then smaller riots broke out in May in Sylvester, Georgia, Putnam County, Georgia, Montecito, Mississippi. In June, New London, Connecticut, Memphis, Tennessee, Annapolis, Maryland, and Macon, Mississippi. Then in July, Brisbane, Arizona, where white police attacked the Buffalo soldiers of the 10th Cavalry. Then in Norfolk, Virginia, a white mob attacked a homecoming celebration for African-Americans, veterans of World War One. I. I mean, I, I, I like, yeah, I mean, the, how do you in that time, at least not say thank you? Well, like, how, like, how do you I mean, it's horrible regardless. Yeah. But how does the how do you how do you bridge that gap mentally for I, like it's bewildering. Because they were marching through town in a parade, and they were like, you can't march. You black bastards can't march through our town. I've always said I'm down for beating the shit out of people having a parade, but that is not race-related. That is just literally (laughs) anybody who thinks that's a good call. Well, maybe that's what it was. Maybe they just didn't like parades. I don't think that was the case. There were eight more riots in July before they hit Washington, D.C. There, blacks fought back because watching people, watching the watching police refused to intervene. The rioting went on for four days. A week later was the worst of all in Chicago. The riots there lasted 13 days. Jesus. The Red Summer hit 25 cities in 1919. And Tom Dennison was listening to the news from around the country, and he saw the change that was occurring in Omaha, and he went to work. Using his friend... I, I don't like what that means. What do you mean? That he went to work. Using his friend Rosewater in the Omaha Bee. The Bee was a very bad newspaper that practiced yellow journalism. Biased news using language and tone intended to arouse passions. Fox News. 
The Omaha Bee newspaper published a series of sensational stories of racial incidents from late June until early September. Throughout its summer riots coverage, the Bee accentuated the increasing black and white casualties around the country. In early June, an article about a young white girl in Council Bluffs who said she was robbed, throttled, and assaulted by a black male. Next, the Bee reported a woman was attacked by an unidentified man suspected as either being a Negro or Mexican. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's hard to. I mean that that is that's how you know you're racist. It's it's when one you, of them. Uh, you, I mean the, the original the original report said it's one of them. How can you not tell? Well, they're brown brown. I was in Miami once, and I was there for Hip Hop Weekend. And I love Hip Hop Weekend. It's a great weekend to be there. It's a crazy weekend to be there. And it was like late at night, and this black chick is walking down the street, and she put her arm around me, and she goes, I need to find a fine-ass Mexican dude like this guy. And I was like, ma'am, you are shit-faced. <laughs> I was like, you you drank yourself to the point where I look Mexican. I was like, <laughs> fucking Irish. Reports of uh, alleged assaults against white women by black men dominated the bee's headlines, creating the perception that violence was a relentless problem in Omaha. In mid-August, a white mob almost apprehended a man named Johnny Moore, suspected of assaulting four white girls between the age of 9 and 14. Upon word of Moore's capture, a mob wielding corn knives and firearms attempted to detain the prisoner themselves before detectives whisked him away. The Bee reported on August 17th another story of an unidentified one-armed Negro who restrained and assaulted a 12-year-old girl named Anna Glassman. Okay. By the end of the month, the Bee reported yet another incident where a black man named Robert King, a recent immigrant from Arkansas, was alleged to have assaulted a white woman and was nearly lynched by a mob before police officers arrived. With growing violence, the Bee then began to place blame squarely on Mayor Smith and the Omaha police forces uh, handling there we go. of African Americans in Omaha. There we go. Huh? There we go. From At two- least it's about what's right. <laughs> <laughs> Getting rid of that goddamn goody two sheets. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Focus on what matters. Getting prostitution back to this area. From June 7th to September 27th, the Omaha Bee reported 21 alleged attacks by black men upon white women. The Bee incessantly reported that African Americans were either suspected or arrested for the alleged crimes. When police and prosecutors could not convict any of those arrested, some Omaha citizens became even more critical of the police department and Mayor Smith because none of them had done it. Yeah. That's why they couldn't convict them. Yeah, of course. The B printed editorials on the front page assailing police commissioner ringing for ringer for practically practicing tyranny and abuse and complained that a carnival of crime is being visited upon the city with assaults, robbery, and violence the consequences of incompetent police. Then came September twenty fifth, nineteen nineteen. Milton Hoffman and Agnes Lobeck were assaulted at Bancroft Street and Scenic Avenue as they were walking home after a late movie. My they, guess is they're white. Really? Yeah. I think you are correct. They said their assailant robbed them at gunpoint, taking Hoffman's watch, money, and billfold, plus a ruby ring from Agnes. He ordered Hoffman to move several steps away, then dragged 19-year-old Lobeck by her hair into a nearby ravine and raped her. Well, okay, sorry, not to jump in, uh-huh. but then this white guy is a fucking little bitch I, I, in, this, in this story. It's a it's a weird thing to figure out how someone can do physically. Well, what, I mean, you're, oh, shit, Agnes, that sucks. 
Sorry about your ruby ring. Yo, I'm just gonna hang here. All right, oh boy. Girl. I hope it's fast, Agnes, I'll be here. Jesus Christ. <laughs> On Friday the 26th, an Omaha Bee headline read, Black Beast First Stick Up Couple. I mean, it sounds like the bee needs to go to headline school. Black Beast. I mean, that's awful. But it's all, what's the rest of it? First Stick Up Couple. I don't even know what that means. Maybe yeah, at the could... time it meant something. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was the first black man to stick up a couple. The most daring attack on a white woman ever perpetrated in Omaha occurred one block south of Bankoff Street near Scenic Avenue in Gibson last night. The article states that the black beast had assaulted the white girl. Police searched two hours, joined by 400 armed men under the leadership of James Lobeck, Agnes's brother, and Frank Rom. A neighbor told searchers of a, quote, suspicious Negro living in a house at 2418 South 5th Street. Isn't any Negro in a house suspicious to I people think, at I this time? I think that's what they're saying. Yeah. So they, they're, they're looking for Negro a black... Suspicious Negro just means Negro They're looking for a black person and someone goes, I know where a black person lives. Yeah, a suspicious one. Well, of course he's suspicious. He's black. Well, this suspicious black man was living with a white woman, Virginia Jones, and another black man. Let's see. So that's where we know where the suspicion came in. Yeah. Oh, that right. Yeah. Of Breaking course. the rules. Yeah. Well, he's clearly hypnotized a whitey, naughty Negro. Um, Rom and four of his men found 41-year-old William Brown at the house and held him with a shotgun. Arriving on the scene, police found Brown hiding under his bed. They took him to Lobach's home nearby, bringing with them clothes found in Brown's room. So I just want to. I just want to break this down. So. There's a guy just living in a house with a white woman, and people are searching for a black guy. So someone says, hey, I know where a black guy lives with a white lady, and clearly that guy's problem. And then they go to the house, and they capture the guy, and then they take him to the woman's house who said she was raped, and they bring his clothes from the closet. They bring his clothes? Yeah. Why? Fashion! Lobeck and Hoffman identified Brown as their assailant. Agnes also identified the clothing, including a white felt hat that had been worn by a man seen in the Gibson neighborhood. So it's not a hat that he was wearing when he committed no. the crime. It's a hat that a black guy was seen wearing around well, the neighborhood. Also, when, when, when your racism is so impenetrable, what is the point of identifying? Like... The, you're, it's inherent that they all are the same to you. Yeah. You've already said that they all basically look the same. Yeah. What is the... I mean, any dude you bring there is just going to be like, that was him. He's black and breathing. That's the one. He's got a face. I'd recognize him anywhere with Ow. those two hands and shoes. His eyes. His brown eyes. He's right blinking now. just like the man who, assail, who has assaulted me. Black hair, I told you. Black hair. Hoffman identified Brown, quote, with not the least bit of doubt... But what he is, the Negro who held him at gunpoint while he raped Agnes. Later, however, Agnes stated that her attacker was black, but, quote, I can't say whether he is the man or not. It's got to be a lot of pressure, too. I'm not even to, like, take the side of a... I mean, obviously, it's terrible what happened to her, if that's actually what happened to her. But to, you know, to have, like, nine foaming white dudes at your house yeah. with a black dude with clothes, just, like, with hard-ons for the conviction... Yeah. You know, I'm sure at that point you're 
<laughs> you know, you're like, well, this the one you want me to yeah, want me to exactly. You know, this is a weird lineup, but yeah. I'm gonna point at that guy in my living room. Um, out of all the guys here, the nine white guys and the one black guy, he's the closest. Ma'am, we know you were just traumatized by a rape, but we're gonna bring your rapist into your house. So that's comfortable and smart. Is this your rapist? Hey, welcome back to Is This Your Rapist? If I say he is, will you stop bringing rapists into my house? I can't make any promises, ma'am. By and then, no. By then, a large crowd of some 250 men and women had gathered around the house shouting that Brown should be lynched. They struggled with the police and twice succeeded in putting a rope around Brown's neck. The standoff lasted for an hour. Despite slashing of tires and beatings, the police took Brown first to the new Douglas County Courthouse Jail. There, police, Chief of Police Marshal Eberstein said he did not know if Brown was guilty and that further investigation was necessary, like a police officer. So think of how fucked up a time it is when black people are dying to go to the prison with the cops. <laughs> like when that was... This is a time... That when, was the best option. This is the time when black people were like, please take me to the prison. Oh my please God. take me to the prison. Oh, the, police, you're the only people I can turn to right now. The level-headed cops. When he was taken to the county jail, Brown said he was working as a coal hustler, which meant he would carry coal from trucks to cellars, and limping because of rheumatism. A physical examination showed Brown was, quote, too twisted by rheumatism to assault anyone. An Omaha World reporter interviewed Brown in jail and, quote, confirmed by his observation the man's crippled condition. His chronic rheumatism meant Brown would be unable to overpower Lobeck and Hoffman, concluded Jim McKee, a Lincoln Journal writer. Well, I, yeah, I'm, it's not surprising. Mm -hmm. I still stand by the fact that Agnes should not have gone out with such a pussy also. Ironically, Hoffman, oh, the pussy was also, he broke a leg when he was a kid and it healed incorrectly, so he had a limp. So in all the newspaper reports, they referred to him as the cripple. <laughs> Hoffman the cripple. Meanwhile, the dude with the rheumatism's in jail. Excuse me? Who's the, who's the cripple storyline in this? Ironically, Hoffman was repeatedly mentioned as the cripple. He denied that description, saying he had a disability because of his broken leg that never mended. Come on, I'm not the cripple! Yeah. About 2 p.m. on Focus September, on the right things there, pal. <laughs> about 2 p.m. on September 28th, Hoffman got about 200 mostly young people at Bancroft School to follow him to the courthouse and try to seize Brown. Detective John Dunn told the marchers to halt, but they ignored him, their numbers increasing as they passed. By 4 p.m., several hundred people had gathered at the south side of the courthouse with 30 policemen cordoning off the building. Thinking there was really no threat, a police captain sent home 50 officers who had been summoned to police headquarters as a reserve. And this year's Shithead of the Year award goes to... What a fucking idiot. Hey, what are you guys doing here? The captain called us down. Nah, we're good. Nah, even though there's 200 uh, people out there in a lynch mob, we're calling it a slow Sunday. Why don't you guys call it? <laughs> huh? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, come on. You don't need to work today. You don't, it's, you don't need that. You guys, overtime. the bag's under your eyes. Please. Come on, get some sleep, gentlemen. Come on. This will be fine. We got this. There's like 30 of us and 500 of them. What's All right. The do the math. Don't we do that math. It. Take care. Inside, Chief Eberstein called... So while that guy is sending him home, Chief Eberstein called the Council Bluffs, Iowa, Police Chief J.C. Jensen for assistance. Jensen replied he had no right to send his men out of the state. They then asked the Lancaster County Home Guard for help, but were told the riot would be over before they could respond. 
I mean, the, that is the that is like the I'm washing my hair excuse for a date. <laughs> you got you know you're getting the fucking run around when you hear that. Yeah, we we're making a tuna casserole over here. So, uh, you know we can't find our shoes, so I don't know how we could do it. You uh, know what? Our uh, shirts are in the wash, and our uh, shoes aren't shining. God, so uh, you know what? And I'm thinking by the time we get down there, after the shirts get out of the wash and we dry them and blah blah blah, the think... riot's gonna be over. I, I mean, most riots go for an hour forty-five. Where so, uh, was the last place we saw our shoes? Oh if boy. we could figure that out, we're gonna get back to you. I'll tell you what, we're exhausted. Good luck with all that. When Lieutenant Colonel Jacob West at Fort Omaha received a report that a riot was underway, he told Omaha's police chief that s- federal troops could not get involved unless ordered by the War Department. The military's It's cha- a good thing there's not a lot of levels and hoops to go through. This is when it's there's just paperwork at yeah, this point. Yeah. I mean it's literally like everyone's like, "Let me call headquarters." You know, it's uh, I get that you guys are getting attacked by a giant mob, but I got I got stuff to get signed. Let I me got, float it up uh, the chain. I'm going to talk to some fellas. Please hold. The military chain of command had to be initiated, delaying action while communication passed from Secretary of War Newton D. Baker down to the fort's commanding officer. Within an hour, police were confronted by some Five, four to five thousand angry people throwing rocks at the courthouse. Four to five thousand. Yeah, dude. If you're the if you're if you're in the cell, I mean, if, yeah, I would. You would probably want to fucking just hang yourself yeah. just to not give them the satisfaction, but play the reality, right. which is that you're pretty fucked. You're pretty fucked. The north doors gave way, and the police chased the mob from the building several times. They attacked the police a little after 5 p.m. One officer was pushed through a plate glass door. Two others became targets when they drew their clubs. Fire hoses were turned on the mob with no effect. Stones and bricks broke almost every window on the south side of the courthouse. The police tried to discourage the assault by firing their revolvers down elevator shafts. I feel like that's not good police work. Were there, uh, unless there's hundreds of people in the elevator shafts, that's useless. I, the I, elevators aren't attacking anyone. I, well, I think, I think the idea is that they were trying to make it sound like they were shooting out, and the only place they could shoot without hitting something was down in the elevator shaft. It really, just shows you the like the valid like it just the the disparity between the value of life of a white person and a black person. It the, really in does. order to dissuade the white people from murdering the black guy, they'll create the illusion of violence. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're going to fucking hang this man. If he's lucky. Yeah. The shots only made the crowd angrier. Well, that's a crazy effect. That's shocking. Didn't see... Didn't, they seem pissed. It seems It seems like they'd be reasonable and go home at that point. Or at least that you don't get more angrier. Instead, the crowd battered... Uh, wait. So, uh, Mayor Smith and Police Chief Eberstein arrived and entered the building to restore order. The crowd then battered down a door, and a 16-year-old boy on a horse, William Francis, appeared with several men hanging on to the horse's tail as he rode through the entryway. I mean, that's just awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now there's a guy riding a horse into a building. On his, his, his tail. He's 16. He's, not he's even, surfing. I mean, he's, he's not skiing. even on the varsity football team. Yeah, he's skiing. He's JV. Yeah. <laughs> and halfway through his life. <laughs> With the courthouse surrounded and breached, Police Chief Marshal Eberstein climbed to a second-story window to speak to the mob. He got out on the windowsill, and the crowd began jeering and shouting and throwing rocks. And Eberstein was forced to retreat. 
Next, city commissioner Harry B. Zimmon tried to talk to the growing mob, only to be drowned out by shouts of, Lynch the damn Jew! Was that person confused why they were there? I think Eberstein, now they're going after the Jew. Jesus. Well, look, I mean, you got a building surrounding you. You might as well kill all the minorities. Nothing will make you, like, ditch the, like, don't kill this black man faster than, like, and the Jew, too. You're like, hey, you know what? Actually, have at him. No, let's bring the black guy out here. Let's get him out here. Now that I'm thinking about it, I kind of see their side a little bit more now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Zimmon suffered a few blows from rocks before being helped inside by friends. Outside, mechanic John Thomas lauded the protection of white women. He lauded the protection of... What do you mean? If he was saying that, you know, it's great that women, white women should be protected and this is what we're doing here. We're taking care of white women. Man, this mob... This just sounds like a very chaotic mob. Oh, it's an idiot party. This is a giant idiot party. <laughs> I mean, for someone to just, in the middle of it, just be like, you know, it's great... We're defending women. Just like, dude, not now. Let's not bottom line it right now. We're all a little fired up. Um, let's see. The mob broke through the police barrier, and officers' caps, badges, and revolvers were taken from them. Most of the police retreated inside the building by 7 p.m., joining Sheriff Clark and his half-dozen deputies. Half-dozen. Pawn shops and the Walter G. Clark and Townsend Gun Company were broken into for revolvers and rifles. By 8 p.m., the mob had begun firing on the courthouse with guns. Mayor Smith came out of the east doors on 17th Street to confront the mob. He asked them to forget the prisoner and allow the firemen to put out flames that were beginning as they were starting to set the building on fire. Good. More emergencies. It is... The cause is terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is, it does seem cr- like all the shit that we get fucked with today, you'd think we would be able to have some sort of reaction like this. I to know. And now we it. don't do anything. But now we don't do shit. Now we're just so apathetic. Yeah. And here it is just uh, to kill a black guy, you've galvanized 10,000 people. So you're saying that the that the heartening part of this story. If you dig deep enough. care. If you dig deep enough. What you can say is that people united for a cause. Sadly, in this circumstance, it's disgusting. It's a horrific cause. But in this day and age, like, I could never, like, literally if we got rid of chicken fries is the only way that I could see, like, people (laughs) acting like this. Like, the, you know, the shit that we give a fuck about now, it's just, you would, to see this, it would just, what would it take? Oh, now you're right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So... The mayor's outside talking to the people. He was then hit with a baseball bat. Oh. And attacked by the mob. No, I will not give up the man, Smith said. I'm going to enforce the law even with my own life. The crowd took his words to heart, shouting, hang him, string him up. With a noose around his neck, the mayor was dragged to the 16th Street traffic signal. What? A rope was thro- the rope was thrown over a bar and tightened around Smith's neck. Then a man named Russell Norgard saved the mayor's life by removing the rope. Police reinforcements arrived with drawn pistols. They took the unconscious mayor to Ford Hospital. I'll bet you that mayor fucking is switching positions a little bit. Yeah, do, like, do whatever. Oh, you know what I'm good with the black eye stuff you guys are talking about. Starting to sink in. The mob rushed back. But you gotta be fucking impressed with the fucking white guy in this Fuck day yeah. and age who gives up his life to yeah. save a dude. Totally. This, 
I, I, I mean, very amazing. And then we have a hero. Well, and you all, like, I think we've even talked about this before, but, like, it's so hard to know, like, you know, how much of just the culture forms your mind. Like, to be an independent thinker, not even that this guy is doing any. I mean, I'm sure he would be fine to hang this dude if he was proven wrong. But the idea that you could actually, like, take a stance like that really is. Yeah. that's, That's some fucking backbone. It is. The mob rushed back to the courthouse, and the riot escalated as gasoline was thrown into the building. Spreading flames forced the police to retreat to the second floor. Firemen fought. Uh, firemen bought ho- brought hoses, which the crowd quickly hacked to pieces. What's good is when there's a fire and you're going upstairs. I mean, that's the one way to go. Yeah. Rioters took the firemen's ladders and used them to enter the courthouse's broken second-story windows. Sweet. Good. Like... I mean, literally, if you're in the building, you have to be like, it was a bad thing the fire department came. <laughs> it was bad. I get it, guys. I get you had a good idea shit, in mind. It, but shit, uh, shit is so fucked when you wish the fire department never showed up to your fire. <laughs> uh, while leading a charge up the stairs to reach Brown, 16-year-old Lewis Young was shot and killed. Policemen and sheriff's deputies took to the fourth floor with flames and angry men below them. Someone shouted, let no one leave. Oh, boy. The mob stationed armed men at every exit door. Sheriff Clark led Brown and his 121 fellow prisoners to the roof. But bullets fired. That's the other thing. All these other prisoners are like, what the fuck? Hey, I'm getting out tomorrow. It was jaywalking, you guys. Guys, I'm sleeping one off. Uh, I'm getting a little too drunk for this shit. I shouldn't have drank all that <laughs> alcohol. Uh, so 121 prisoners are on the roof. And then bullets were fired from nearby buildings, and they had to run back down the stairs. Ugh. Clark convinced the rioters on the stairs to allow female prisoners to leave. Officers and deputies began telephoning their wives <laughs> with their final words. Uh, uh, sorry, that is a sentimental part. It is funny to think of the moment... When you're negotiating with these guys, for them to actually have a moment to be like, "Who should should we let the women let the women go? Let the women go!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lady, ladies are cool. Lady, what about the black ladies? It's ladies' ladies night. It's ladies' ladies night. Those aren't ladies. Black ladies aren't ladies. Just the ladies. You guys got the flyers, right? It's ladies' night. Ladies' ladies night. night. Okay, girls, it's coming down. You coming down to the lynching tonight? It's ladies' night. And then at the bottom of there, there's almost like a bouncer to the outside who's like, "Yeah, but two more have to come in before you can go out, ladies. Sorry." (laughs) Sorry about that. Just doing a head count thing. <sighs> okay. Uh, so, uh, so the c- cops are calling their wives and saying goodbye. Deputy clerk of the court, Assel Steer, realizing that several large record books were threatened by the fire, made his way through an entrance and went to his office, where he car- carried several district record books to a vault. And safety. He Along the way, he found three wounded police officers... And he took them into the vault, and then someone slammed the door behind them. Oh, fuck. Trapped in the blazing building, what? the four men broke through a wall and escaped while being shot at. Bad vault. That's fucking amazing. Amazing. Not a good vault. Shitty vault. Not a good vault. It's just a door. And we'll use the side. Hey, you know what? Let's put a big vault, a door on this closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Ten officers in courtroom one on the fourth floor were threatened by the flames, but their call for help was refused with calls of, let them burn, bring the nigger down with you and we'll hand you a ladder. From the west side of the building, three slips of paper floated down. Scrawled on one of them was, come to the fourth floor of the building and we will hand the nigger over to you. Oh my God. Ladders were placed against the west side of the burning courthouse and two men... One with a rope and the other carrying a shotgun rushed up the ladder to the second floor. From there, they performed an aerobatic climb to reach Brown and his defenders two floors up. But by now it was dark, and the automobile headlights illuminated the window ledges as they climbed. Suddenly, Uh shouts and shots came from the building's south side. They yelled. Brown was in the hands of his executioners. Sheriff Clark claimed he surrendered Brown to save the lives of the police officers and deputies, fearing they would be killed if the struggle continued. He's right. He is right. He is right. But it's still fucked. It's the most horrific decision you can make. You have to give up an innocent guy so that other innocent people can live because there's insane people outside. Yeah. Inside, Will Brown moaned to Sheriff Mike Clark, I am innocent. I never did it. My God. By the way. I am innocent. By the way, I mean, that's the elephant in the room that we're probably not, I've almost forgotten about at this point, is that this guy didn't even do shit. Didn't do anything. He was just in a house. Yeah, he's just a guy. He had a white roommate. Yeah, he had a white roommate. White roommate. (sighs) Yeah. White roommate, red flag. Uh, the day after the riot, a youngster said he read the note that urged others to come to the fourth floor and get the nigger. With two friends, he followed the instructions and somebody handed Brown over to 30 men who had come up the stairs. They tied a rope around his neck and dragged him to the south side of the building. He was beaten into unconsciousness. His clothes were torn off by the time he reached the building's doors. Bloody, he was taken down the stairs and handed over to the waiting horde to hang him. Several men pulled Brown's body into the air as the crowd cheered. There he died, swinging by the traffic sign. The swaying body then became a target for gunfire. He was riddled with bullets. Lowered after 20 minutes, Brown's remains were tied to the end of a police car that the mob had seized and dragged to the 17th and Dodge Streets. There he was burned with fuel from the red signal lanterns used for street repair. How you doing? Not good. Brown's tried remains were then dragged behind the automobile through downtown streets. Nebraska-born actor Henry Fonda was 14 years old when the lynching happened. His father owned a printing plant across the street from the courthouse. Henry Fonda watched the riot from the second floor window of his father's shop. Quote, it was the most horrendous sight I'd ever seen. We locked the plant, went downstairs, and drove home in silence. My hands were wet, and there were tears in my eyes. All I could think of was that young black man dangling from the end of the rope. Estimates of the crowd vary from 5,000 to 20,000. As it dwindled, U.S. troops began finally arriving in response to requests for assistance. Oh, good, good. Colonel West ordered two companies to the courthouse to restore order, and a sent a third company to the Black District as a precaution. While the troops marched, Brown was being lynched, burned, and his body dragged around the city's downtown streets. The next day, special trains brought reinforcements from army camps in Iowa, Kansas, South Dakota. Uh, Eventually, 1,600 troops were on duty in Omaha. The court... 
You want to talk about the Packer clock anymore? Can I can I just say that when people talk about horrible ISIS is, yeah, uh, this is not that long ago. Yeah, just so everybody knows. Well, that I mean, honestly, that the problem is that. Yeah, exactly. There's no perspective. No perspective. I mean, if you like, I always think that about like the Middle East. Like, it, it's terrible when somebody is killed. It's terrible when anything like this happens. But you also have to think that like we there's like a generation of babies in Iraq who have like enormous heads because yeah. of us. So and we and we like in this period uh, until 1930, we killed thousands of black people. Yeah, and we really don't. Oh, we really geez. just have no interest in How reopening it. How is this it. not taught in the history books? Yeah, right? It's fucking disgusting. And you would think, like, and it just shows, like, it really is true that, like, the pro- I guess the problem with racism in this country is that it it is, it's like a drinking problem in a relationship where you just don't want to talk. You right. just, you don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. Because you don't want to like not live together anymore, so you just don't talk about the drinking. Yeah. But really, what you need is the therapy to be like, "Holy shit, we've got a lot of problems here. Purge them, and then you can move forward." Because if you think about the shit with the cops now, yeah. or even the reaction of the cops now, it's same sentiment, different we're times. Still, we're still killing black people just legally. Yeah. Which is the fucking. Uh, yeah. yeah. The courthouse was in ruins, completed in 1912 at a cost of uh, one million. $500,000. The damage to the building was estimated at $1 million. Tax records were burned, as were land indexes in the Office of Register of Deeds. The county clerk's office was gutted, and furnishings and equipment and other offices were in shambles. Three Plus, men- you need to fucking, you know, fire the vault guy. Right, the vault guy's an idiot. Three men were killed as victims of the mob's fury. Will Brown, teenager Lewis Young, and... H.J. Heichel, a businessman who was walking down the street two blocks away when he was shot in the abdomen. Oh, Christ. I love the just random, there you are, Heichel, you son of a bitch. Fifty-some oh! uh, individuals were injured with cuts, bruises, beatings, and smoke inhalation. So think about, think about the initial crime. Yeah. And now three, three people of dead. your own race who yeah. matter are dead. Yeah. Well, two people of your own race. No. Yeah. County attorney Abel Shotwell proclaimed the law would be enforced and the rioters prosecuted. The army began to arrest mob ringleaders on the basis of photographs confiscated from the public. General Wood personally interviewed several suspected mob participants. The army confiscated photographs of the riot from the public and began identifying and arresting 100 men accused of taking part. So they would all take pictures with the body. That was like a big thing. Oh back my then. god! That was a big thing back then. You would take pictures. It's a bunch. It's a bunch of people smiling and hanging out with a body. It's really cool. It's uh, it's a good time. The police compiled their own list of three hundred alleged participants. One of the names high on the list was Milton Hoffman, mm-hmm. the cripple, mm-hmm. who had worked as Denison's secretary. Oh fucking a. Hoffman was accused of leading the mob from South Omaha to the courthouse and whipping them into a frenzy. Get the fuck. As well as reporting. Get the fuck. The original rape and saying it had happened to him. Dennison got Hoffman out of the city to Denver before he could be arrested, where he worked for another gambler for seven years before returning to Omaha. Fifty men took the grand jury's oath on October 8th, 1919. Sheriff Clark selected a 16th Henry H. Dunn, a Denison loyalist and former chief of police. 
October and November indictments, including counts of murder with revolvers, hanging, striking, beating, bruising, wounding, shooting, choking, strangling, and suffocating Brown, along with arson, breaking and entering, and inciting others to the same acts, the grand jury issued 189 indictments. 12-year-old Sol Francis was the youngest to be arrested. 12? He had urged other riders to follow him as he climbed a ladder. But who the fuck... I mean, look, I just, yeah, get, all, get all the fuckers. But who the, you shouldn't be listening to a 12-year-old during a riot. Well, his brother, because the other the kid who rode the horse was also named Francis, who was 16. <laughs> so I think the Francis family is pretty fucked up. Yeah. But they're leaders. Tw- I, they're look, leaders. I, I, listen, a 12-year-old could come and tell me anything right now. Yeah. I'm probably not going to listen to it. Okay. Okay? Fair. Only a few... Come the- climb this ladder, mister! Oh, woke, of course! <laughs> Only a few of the arrests were ever prosecuted, mostly on minor charges. Two exceptions were Ralph Snyder and Claude Nethaway, both charged for Brown's murder. From atop a burned police car, Snyder had shouted, We have showed the nigger what a northern mob can do. They were found not guilty after a brief jury deliberation. Mayor Smith said he was positive that a man named Davis was one of his assailants. Davis was charged with assault to murder to do great bodily harm, conspiracy to murder, unlawful assembly, and rioting. Davis claimed he was home during the riot. And was not convicted. <laughs> nah, he's at home, you guys. Uh, All right, yeah, it's a, well, you heard the guy, he's at home. Well, not much else we can do here. Your yeah, story sounds, checks out. That's pretty open and shut there. He's got a great alibi. Take care, my man. Sorry about that mix-up. We didn't realize you were at home. Oh, okay. Thank you. I'll see you later. Okay, take care. Despite the presence of thousands of people, few cooperated with law enforcement. A conspiracy of silence protected the participants. The grand jury report said people in the mob were under the influence of liquor. They had been fueled by local saloons. The courthouse gang had urged Did everybody just get shit-faced all day during the... I mean, is that well, really... It was basically what would happen, right? Well, who owned the saloons? Of course, but in general. So it just seems like... He was giving out free liquor. Yeah, but... What would I you mean, do if you're in a riot and there's free liquor? Fuck it. What do you think I'm gonna fucking do? Turn it loose. Well, fucking party, bro. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking for coke. <laughs> The courthouse gang had urged the crowd to drink up and spur enthusiasm for the task at hand. And most importantly, the accounts of black rapists turn out to be white men in blackface. Uh, one more time? I, I'm, if you're about to say what I think you're about to say. The, all the accounts of black men attacking white women in the uh, Omaha B were just they, white they, guys. They were investigated. It turned out that they were white guys in blackface. <sighs> you can't even look at me. People on one side pointed the finger at Dennison. His supporters said he would never do anything like this. Dennison never had anything to do with that riot, they said. Dennison stalwart William Billy Mayer denied the old man had anything to do with the riot, but added... I don't say he didn't get a kick out of it the way it ruined the administration that was in. That guy should not be talking. There was no evidence to prove Tom Dennison's direct involvement in Brown's death. But his longtime relationship with the Omaha Bee, his campaign to discredit the Smith administration, his political and legal influence, and his connections with Hoffman seemed noteworthy. Hoffman, the cripple whom was with young Miss Agnes Lobeck on the night she was allegedly I'm glad raped. at least he still gets called a cripple. Yeah. On the night she, she was allegedly raped by Will Brown. It turns out Milton Hoffman was 
Dennison's employee. His uncle had recommended him to the old man a few years earlier after Teenage Hoffman completed a business course. He worked as Dennison's secretary, assisting with election ballots and voting before he was 21. Milton Hoffman disappeared right after the riot. He went to Denver, where he married Agnes, and where he worked for one of Dennison's closest friends. There, they returned to Omaha, where they... Later, they returned to Omaha, where they spent the rest of their lives. Fuck this. Short-lived voices of condemnation were heard, but mostly a consensus, consensus of acceptance of lynching, even approval, was typical in Omaha and other cities. The violence did not evoke any initiatives to assuage racism or improve conditions for Omaha's African-American community. Two years after the riot, the Ku Klux Klan formed an Omaha clavern. Mayor Ed Smith was politically damaged. Dennison's machine won the next election. During Henry Fonda's long career, two of his best movies, Young Mr. Lincoln and The Oxbow Incident, featured lynchings as major plot points. Jesus Christ, dude. That's America. That one is fucking dark. I told you it was going to be dark. Good God. That's awful. I've been I've been avoiding um, the black uh, riots and the just just straight up horrific murder of of towns, Rosewood yeah. towns were obliterated, St. Louis hundreds were killed. Uh, uh, there's another city I think it was in Arkansas just obliterated. It went on for like 14 days. Uh, but then I was like, well, fuck. It's a history podcast, and yeah. this is America, right? And I think you're, uh, like uh, like I was saying, I mean, you know, I think you should know that it's good to know this shit. Nobody knows this. It's good to know. It's not nice to hear, but it's good to know. No, it's not nice to hear at all. But sorry, you guys. Sorry I bummed you out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Welcome to history. The next um, one we'll do about balloons. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Give me a space to play it. Well, the next one's a lot lighter. <laughs> The one, the one we just did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For <laughs> I mean, um, for me personally, the order switch would have been nice. <laughs> you would have had it the other way around. I think that this would have dragged into the other one. Uh, probably, yeah. I, if yeah, if, <laughs> I guess if you listen, if you would listen to the next one, <laughs> I don't think there's a right way to handle it. Probably no, there isn't. But uh, yeah, but the next <laughs> the next one certainly doesn't seem as tragic. <laughs> I remember some of that information. I was like, Jesus Christ, man. We are such a fucking vile country. Vile. All right. All right. Hope Can't wait to see it. Hope everybody had a it'll, good time. Be, it'll be fun when it's time to just kill white people. That'll be interesting. <laughs> see how, what happens then. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, when the Mexicans commit a genocide against white people, and we'll be like, how could this happen? We never did anything anyway. Let's talk it out. All right. All right. Have a nice day. Thanks. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th. 
Dublin, September 17th. And September 19th, Manchester. Birmingham, September 20th. Bristol, September 22nd. And Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 